Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spoke to the nation this morning on the SNC-Lavalin case and testimony of Gerard Butts and Jody Wilson-Raybould. What did he say? How did it go over? Well, we'll talk about that. Ron Tavener has withdrawn his name for consideration to be the next commissioner of the OPP, and Burlington City Council has frozen downtown development for at least a year. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The story that everybody is talking about, of course, is, well, the fact that Prime Minister Trudeau has now commented about the SNC-Lavalin affair, about the uh, resignations of two of his top cabinet ministers, and uh, tried as, as much as he could, I suppose, to try to douse the flames on the controversy that's been going on. This is a little bit of what the Prime Minister had to say about an hour ago. I stressed the importance of protecting Canadian jobs and reiterated that this issue was one of significant national importance. Ms. Wilson-Raybould left that meeting saying that she would speak with her deputy minister and the clerk about this matter, but that the decision was hers alone. In the months that followed that meeting, I asked my staff to follow up regarding Ms. Wilson-Raybould's final decision. I realize now that in addition, I should have done so personally, given the importance of this issue and the jobs that were on the line. In recent days, I have reviewed the testimony from the Justice Committee, including that given by Ms. Wilson-Raybould, Gerald Butts, the Clerk of the Privy Council, and the Deputy Minister of Justice and Deputy Attorney General, recalling various interactions. Each of these interactions was a conversation among colleagues about how to tackle a challenging issue. Each came at a time when my staff and I believed that the former Minister of Justice and Attorney General was open to considering other aspects of the public interest. However, I now understand that she saw it differently. What has become clear through the various testimonies is that over the past months there was an erosion of trust between my office and specifically my former Principal Secretary and the former Minister of Justice and Attorney General. I was not aware of that erosion of trust. As Prime Minister and leader of the Federal Ministry, I should have been. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking uh, to the uh, Ottawa Press Gallery just about one hour ago and addressing the nation, obviously, uh, with his uh, perspective on what has happened over the last little while with the SNC-Lavalin situation and, of course, the resignations of Jody Wilson-Raybould. And uh, and uh, I, uh, the controversy that surrounds this, and obviously the testimony yesterday of his former uh, chief of staff, uh, Gerald Butts, uh, joining us to discuss the the uh, well the the speech itself, of course, and uh, the impact that it may have on this whole affair. Uh, we're pleased to welcome back to the program Christopher Waddell, professor in the School of Journalism and Communications at Carleton University in Ottawa. Uh, Christopher, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Thanks very much, Bill. Listen, right off the top, I guess the let's face it, the, the modus operandi here. I think the prime minister addressing the nation today was to try to douse the flames on this controversy. Uh, how did he do? I think he did a pretty good job explaining his point of view. Um, maybe he might have explained his point of view a little earlier in the process, but but he, but I think what this is coming down to, to some extent, is uh, to a significant degree, um, what happens in a lot of discussions is different different points of view and different perspectives as to how uh, as to what what the issue is, and also um, different interpretations of, of pressure or or all of those sorts of things. 
which was very much along the lines of what Gerald Butts said yesterday during his time in front of the the Justice Committee. Uh, essentially, look at the, you know this happens in Ottawa all the time. This is how you play the game of politics, and uh, we didn't understand or didn't seem to consider or under, uh, get any sense at all that that Jody Wilson Raybolt was being pressured. That was just the way we do things here. I think there's a, I think there's some degree of truth in that. Certainly, that a lot of a, a lot of what's gone on and what we've heard in the last little while is in fact the way politics works. And it, and and even on some level, people who are expressing surprise or concern about the fact that that the decision to prosecute um, SNC Lavalin is a polit- is political and politicized to some degree is I think a little naive too. In that um, in the year before an election, um, almost every decision a government makes it political and 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 simply by doing what it did a year or two ago in introducing the possibility of giving companies who may have been convicted of uh, or may have be facing charges of of criminal offenses the opportunity to uh, do an out-of-court settlement, if you will, through the Deferred Prosecution Agreement. That basically made the whole issue political anyway, because once you pass that and give that as an option, then all of a sudden it becomes a political decision about whether whether government should follow that route or should follow a, a um, going to court. And overlaid in, in part by all the usual things when those sorts of... Uh, um, opportunities to avoid a court case come up, which range from the likelihood of getting a prosecution, the cost of of going through the court process, and frankly, if you're dealing with international um, international um, criminal offenses or, or charges of international criminal offenses, as the case about SNC Lavalin was, as it related to Libya, I think there's significant questions about the capability of the prosecutions, the prosecutors in Canada to be able to handle a case like that. So all of those would be reasons why you might want to have a deferred prosecution uh, prosecution agreement. Um, but by the same token, whether you decide to go that route or the route of a of an actual court case is, in fact, in many ways political. But we've kind of got off onto a side road here, haven't we, really, Chris, when you look at this? At I mean, least one. Maybe <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe a few, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're way down in the boonies now. I don't know yeah. why. Because uh, this, this uh, uh, not just the Prime Minister's statement, but uh, the testimony we've heard over the last couple of days, even with uh, Mr. Warnick and Mr. Butts yesterday, uh, it's not so much about SNC-Lavalin anymore, but it's about who said what to whom and, and what exactly. kind of an impact it had on that. And th- I don't know if we're ever going to get past the he said, she said uh, aspect of this. I think we talked about this one time before, and I think we concluded that was where it was going to end up. Didn't yeah. we? And, and I suspect that may well be. And 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 to be fair to someone who I don't know, I don't remember if it was one of the people before the committee or not who said this, but it's entirely possible that both people are, are correct in that each thought their own had their own view of it, and they had two different views of it. I mean, th- that does happen sometimes. So whether we're going to get to the bottom of that um, ever, I think probably is unlikely. Well, and and obviously, I mean, we have to get through the political bombast that's going on here too, and, and you know, there's some partisan politicking going on here on both sides, yeah. uh, depending although, on who. Although, you... although I'd say generally, um, the committee hearings have been less grandstanding than I thought they might be. Yeah, I, I, I actually am pretty impressed with some of the questioning that's gone on. I thought Lisa Raitt has done a very incredible job. Uh, obviously, she's an uh, you know an opposition member, and she's going to hold their feet to the fire. But that's their, their, yeah, yeah. That's, that's her job. Yeah, but but it but it hasn't been. There hasn't been a lot of. Sometimes these events turn into kind of circuses, and we've seen some of that in the United States oh, sometimes yeah. with with the way some of their congressional hearings have gone. And I think I think generally MPs on all sides have have, have handled themselves well. Have asked. Uh, there's obviously there are questions you could ask that didn't get asked, and they may focus on some things because they 
because this is politics on all sides, and it's not as if everybody isn't political. But um, but generally, I think the hearings, uh, both the witnesses and the uh, and the questioning, has been handled pretty well, actually. And and maybe a, a good argument for why committees should have should be doing this sort of uh, of inquiries about issues a little more often. The other element to this too is, is as you say, the technique that's, that's been employed here, uh, and and the and the issue, of course, being the, the case, obviously, the, with the SNC Lavalin. But the the whole idea about how this is handled, maybe the thing that's maybe a little more disturbing than we want to admit now is that this has really kind of shone the light on some of the inside politics that goes on in Ottawa or Washington or any other capital these days, and we may not want to admit the fact that that's how politics is played, but that is the reality. I, I, I suspect that may also be how things play out in corporations when corporations face big decisions. Sure. Whenever there's a group of people who have to make a decision, there are people who have different points of view. And people uh, will argue their points of view strenuously. Uh, some will think that some will reach a point where they, I just don't agree, and so I don't want to participate, which is a totally fair position to take. Um, but, but, yeah, uh, when you're facing decisions, and, and, uh, and you know, I would... Uh, argue that um, for people who want to suggest that 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 um, the justice system is beyond politics well you know in some cases it it is most of the time but there are cases where in fact politics do intervene in, in judicial decisions if you want to go back to the previous government um, the conservative government I think you could make a pretty good case that the the legal pursuit by the conservative government of Omar Khadr tended to have political overtones to it as well in terms of um, wanting him um, fighting um, parole, doing a variety of other issues too. So it's not as if in some cases there aren't politics. Um, everything government does is political, and in, an ele- in a year before an election, it's extra political. Well, exactly, and and it's uh, I guess the other element that they, they always seem to count on here is that, uh, well, the public are going to have short memories about this. Uh, your, your point about Cotter, I think, is, is very poignant to this discussion here, that there's always going to be political considerations, and anytime there's a legal argument, though, Chris, I mean, you look at some of the, the discussions that go on about some of the, the high-profile cases uh, that have gone on in the courts in this country, there's always a discussion about okay, what are the chances of conviction, and what are the implications yeah. of this sort of thing? That's 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 part of the system, and that's part of the discussion that goes on. And clearly, that was what was happening, obviously, in, the, in some of these meetings that uh, have been described over the last couple of days. Overlaid, overlaid by certainly overlaid by political consideration. Sure. And the idea, the idea that it's happening. You know, a Quebec election was going on at the start of it. That's fine. Um, is SNC Lavalin going to go out of business if if they're convicted? Probably not. Um, will people lose their jobs? Maybe, maybe not. Um, might the company be taken over by another global engineering firm? Perhaps. Uh, is that an issue that you know we've seen in some other sectors of the economy, mining sector and some others, that we've lost a lot of, and, and you go back 30 or 40 years, we've lost a lot of jobs, uh, head office jobs, as Canadian companies are taken over by other companies and we tend to become a branch plant. Uh, is that a concern? Should that be a concern? You can argue that both ways, but that's certainly a political issue too, and particularly in Quebec, where Quebec has had uh, a series of, of um, um, kind of, I call them national champions, I guess, whether it's uh, uh, over the years, Hydro-Quebec being one, which goes way back to to the Quiet Revolution and the growth of, of, of um, French language power in, in, in the economy and in a lot of other areas in Quebec, too. So, so there's no question that that something that would seriously damage SNC-Lavalin would be a political issue in Quebec, and the people doing it could face some political repercussions. That doesn't mean they may not go ahead and do it, but you need to talk it through before you decide what you're going to do, in part to 
make sure you're making the right decision. And second of all, to um, make sure you're making the right decision, to hear out all the points, and also to give yourself a uh, uh, whatever arguments you want to make for why you're going ahead and doing what you're doing. There's the other element to this, too, and I know that uh, in the, some of the testimony and some of the Q&A that went back and forth over the last couple of times that uh, some of the high-profile folks have been before this committee, they, they've always said, you know, well, you know, you know you, what, you, political considerations, you're thinking about this, and you, you even brought up the idea about getting reelected. Uh, in all the years you've been covering journalism and, and politics, have you ever found a government that didn't have a political consideration about getting reelected? They all um, want to keep their jobs. <laughs> Well, if they don't have one, it's usually in the first year of their new of a new government. And as they get further on and they do more things, they find people agree with them and other people disagree with them, and they start to worry about those sorts of things. And particularly as you're headed into the last year of an election, that 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 becomes even even more significant as well. Well, sure. I mean, I, I get that. I mean, every government decision, they always want you to make uh, the assumption that well, we're doing this because you know we, we we have these high ethical moral standards, and this is why we want to do the quote unquote right thing. They're always considering the impact it's going to have politically. Every decision they make is like that. Whether it's John, Justin Trudeau or Stephen Harper or Jean Chrétien, go down the list. They've all had that because that's that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? Well, and I would say the opposition parties consider exactly the same thing too in the positions they take on issues. Sure, absolutely. So to, you know, to that's suggest what, that you know that's that's, that's, that's not that, there's no culpability there. That's just the way the game is played. No matter who's got in the corner office that time. Yeah, it's it's the way the game is played. But but there is a fair argument that made that I think that that. Ms. Wilson-Raybould made, is that in some cases politics isn't the only thing you should be thinking about. There are some there are some broader issues and perspectives you need to take into account, and sometimes the political thing, the correct thing to do politically may not be the right thing to do um, uh, ethically or anything else. And you can certainly make a case in the case of SNC-Lavalin that you should think seriously about prosecuting them. Yes, there's different management in charge now, but this isn't one... Uh, Libya isn't the only example of the company having done ethically improper things, whether it's the Montreal Hospital bribery case, several other cases, the funding to the Liberal Party. Um, I think the fundamental question that no one has really uh, addressed is, is what's the attitude... If you're going to pass legislation that imposes things like a 10-year contracting ban with the federal government on anyone who's convicted, and you get the first major company that might run up against that, and you say, we, we can't do that, in essence, because this company is too big or too important to, to, to be put in a position where it might fail or something else might happen. What's the point of passing the legislation on, on, on uh, the 10-year ban in the first place? And I think that's an interesting argument to have about whether, you know, it, it, it's great to pass laws imposing big fines or big, big penalties, but, but uh, I think an average person would tell you, if I did something like this, I wouldn't have the option of being able to pay some money, maybe I didn't even have the money, and get out of whatever the, uh, the actual um, implications might be. So, there's, you know, there's, just, there's good arguments to have on both sides of this. But we, I think, have moved a long way down towards, as you say, that he said, she said, and we've kind of lost sight of, uh, of maybe some of the broader public policy arguments that I think are important to have in position on, on the question. Well, yeah, and if there's a silver lining, I don't know if you can actually qualify it as a silver lining, but uh, the fact that there's a discussion about separating the Justice Ministry from the Attorney General's role is, is I think, an interesting and, and a much-needed debate to, that we need to have, and he did talk about that earlier this morning. So, uh, you know, there, it has opened our eyes to a few things that maybe we need to discuss and, you know, try to cobble something a little bit better together as we go forward. Well, I think that's quite right, and, and in fact, Ms. Wilson-Raybould said in, in her testimony that she thought that um, 
that she thought that um, that that was an issue that should be considered by the committee, splitting those two roles and leaving the attorney general outside cabinet to ensure that uh, that um, that he or she is not faced with the politicization of decisions. Not that that's necessarily going to happen, but that would be a step to make it a little more difficult. I think the other thing that may come out of it that is on some levels kind of refreshing, and we'll see how it plays out, is the question that, that Mr. Trudeau was also asked today, which is, do Ms. Raybould, uh, Wilson Raybould and, and uh, Ms. Philpott stay in caucus? And everybody's saying, well, they should be driven, they should leave caucus, they should leave caucus. But, you know, um, that, in Britain, there's lots of people, including a whole bunch who voted against Ms. May on Brexit, in the Conservative Party, aren't leaving the Conservative Party. They're still there. And if we're serious about wanting to give individual members of Parliament more independence and more ability to say things and do things, I think the idea that people can be critical of the, of the government to the point of resigning and still say, staying in caucus may actually be a positive benefit for democracy as well. Well, we'll see uh, as the court of public opinion starts to uh, unfold over the next couple of days how this is going to play out. Uh, Christopher, thanks as always. Great talking with you again today. Okay, great, Bill. Thanks Take care. Much. Christopher Waddell, of course, from uh, School of Journalism at Carleton University. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, joined now by Richard Brennan, a retired journalist from the uh, Toronto Star who uh, covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill uh, for many, many years, of course. And uh, I want to, a couple of things I want to do. First of all, Badger, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you jumping in today. No problem. I, I want to talk about the the, 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 the Tavener thing in the OPP in a couple of yeah. seconds. But first of all, give me your take on what you saw from uh, the Prime Minister a little earlier this morning. Well, it's something you should have done weeks ago. And, I mean, I, I, look, at I, I, I'm one of the, in that, in that uh, gang that really believes this. This was a, a, they didn't, a situation where they didn't communicate between each other. One thought one thing, one thought another thing, and it just blew, blew up in their face. And he, he should have just, you know, been this contrite, uh, like I say, weeks ago. Politicians never, ever seem to learn that, you know, when you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. And, and, and I just think this is a situation where I don't really believe this is going to stick uh, to them for very long. Oh, really? No, I don't. I, I mean, though you and I know, I've covered elections where they changed in the last week. And, and stuff, it's, you know, what is it, six, seven months to the next election? And that's a lifetime. It really, you know, I, you've all heard the expression, but it really is an in an election, and I, yeah, will it? Will some people, you know, go to the poll, polls with that in their mind? I uh, very few. It, it just, it, I just don't think it'll stick. But something else could come along in between now and then. I'm not suggesting it won't. Well, this is. I, I'm wondering if this is going to flare up. And I, as I watched the uh, the press conference, uh, you know, the, the Q and A after he uh, he made a statement this morning. Uh, the the one question I wanted somebody to ask, and I didn't, I didn't hear it anyway, is uh, how are you going to carry on with this file now? You've got a new attorney general. Are you going to go for a deferred prosecution with SNC Lavalin? And I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm guessing they are. I mean, it's, uh, that seems to be the indication. That certainly was the the game that they were trying to shoot for here. So, and if they do that, uh, is that going to flare this thing up again? Um. Well, you know, it, the thing is, I think the, from the Outset, he would he should have said, and he and he kind of didn't, but didn't get the point across. That yeah, am am I am I going to uh, raise a matter 
of jobs with, you know, SNC-Lavalin? Of course I am. Not just from the, my province where my writing is, but where, you know, people right across the country it employs. Absolutely I'm going to raise that. But in the end, it, it was her decision. But, you know, don't punish me for, you know, looking out for jobs. And I don't ever think he really got that message across. And it just, and it just, it just mushroomed from there. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, because I know obviously they've taken quite a hit in the public opinion polls over the last three weeks especially, and uh, whether or not this is actually going to stem the flow uh, that seems to be heading the other way. But, uh, you know, the other question that, that I've asked, and, and you've been on Parliament Hill and in Queen's Park for years now, and I'm watching a lot of this stuff unfold, is uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I take the Prime Minister at his word that there's an erosion of confidence and trust here, that certainly within his cabinet members. Uh, and there was a decision made, and obviously there was a demotion of, of, of one cabinet minister. How often does this go on that we don't hear about? Because somebody doesn't go public. I mean, you and I both know that there's always pressure being applied to cabinet ministers about just about every political decision they make, and they're always going to get lobbied, sometimes by their their their, their folks in cabinet, sometimes by outside influences like SNC-Lavalin. This, yeah. is, this is politics as usual to a certain extent. It's just that this one all of a sudden blew up in public. Oh, absolutely. This happens all the time. This kind of backroom wheeling and dealing happens every day. And for, you know, in this case, we got to look behind the curtain to see how the sausages were made. And that's, that doesn't happen that often. Do you think it didn't happen with Harper? Do you think it didn't happen with Martin or Cretchen? Of course it did. It just happened to blow up with, because, uh, you know, we had an attorney general who took exception to being what she thought was being, you know, pushed into something. And that's why, you know, that's why it came out. I'm still, I'm still uh, shaking my head with Philpott. I just still don't get that one, Jane Philpott. I just, you know, saying that she was, she's going to quit because she doesn't like the way it was handled and that, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think she might have, you know, might have jumped a little too quickly. Yeah, and it seemed to me as uh, just as as they've been accusing some of the other people, butts and others, of of making this personal. I, she certainly did. Anyway, I, I get the sense her resignation had a lot more to do with the fact that she's pretty close friends, I guess, with uh, with Jody Wilson Raybald, and oh, didn't and, like the way she was so, being treated. And, and I understand. You know, and I, I get I that. I get that. that. Sure. But the point is, you, you know as well as anybody. But when you get into politics, it's a game of give and take. And you're not always going to get your way. That's the way politics works. And and if you, you think for a second that, you know, what I say is going to be the, the only way it's going to be done, well, you're in the wrong game for absolutely. And I, I'm not so sure. Um, and I think that was part of the problem here. Well, as I say, he's made his statement. I guess he's hopping on his plane now to go uh, up to Northwest Territories and uh, back to Toronto, I guess, later on. So we'll see what kind of a reaction he's going to get to this. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, uh, just exactly how the public is going to be responding to this. I know the survey that came out the other day that suggested by almost a two-to-one margin that uh, the Canadians that were polled uh, believe Jody Wilson-Raybould over what Gerard Butts was saying. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, she came across, I think, as very, very oh, sincere a- 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 and very absolutely. credible. 
And I don't know why he's going into the Northwest Territory. You can get the cold shoulder here. <laughs> yeah, he could have stayed in Ottawa for that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. All right, let's let's move on. Let's go back to Queens Park now. Yeah. Uh, are you surprised by Tavener's announcement that he's withdrawing from the uh, the, I, the race? I, I don't want to sound like I've got some kind of crystal ball, but no, I'm not. I didn't think this deal was ever going to happen. I don't know if I've talked about this in the past. But I never thought for a second it was going to happen. I thought that Tabner or, or Ford would come to their senses. This was an unnecessary distraction. With a government that wants to do things, and it was, it was, you know, like, for example, the premier wasn't in the House all this week so far. Yeah. Because I think he just got tired of, you know, having to answer questions on it. Well, that's, you know, that's his job. But... I guess he was he was using that time to sit back and assess, you know, do we go ahead with this? What's what's the end game? What you ask yourself, what is what am I going to get out of this by pressing this? And I, you know, he's obviously well either Mr. Tavener or him have concluded that it's just not worth it. And it isn't. How often have you seen something like this happen, though, where somebody, you know, he, he wins a big election, uh, gets a majority government? I mean, you get to the point where I guess, you know, in your head you start thinking, you oh, know, I can do pretty much, I'm on a roll, I can do this, and I'm gonna, uh, it's going to be fine. You know, everybody's loving me, and, you know, because he goes to these rallies and everybody's in love with him, and he just figures I can make this decision, and, and they will accept that. He, I don't know that he expected to see the kind of pushback no, that he, he got on this. He absolutely didn't. He thought that he'd be able to, you know, to you know, kind of brush this under the rug and not too many people would pay attention. Well, he just didn't account for Brad, uh, uh, Deputy Commissioner. Oh, Brad Blair. Brad, Brad Blair to, to take this very strong stand that he did. And that's, I mean, if he hadn't, it, it, yeah, he probably would have got away with it. But Blair said, no, not in my watch. This is not happening. And I, I give... Great credit to, and I don't know if he he jumped or whether he was pushed, but Tavner made the right decision by by pulling out because it just that stench would have never ever left. Well, I mean, the characterization has been from day one, uh, Doug Ford's good friend Ron Tavener, and yeah. and uh, and. I understand that, you know, when you get elected to public office, especially something like a premier or prime minister's role, you want to surround yourself with people that you know, that you, you like and you can trust and you figure, okay, they're, they they know what I, I want out of this job. But that's a little too cozy, having an OPP commissioner and a premier that... Uh, oh, and that's only part of the story as we've, we've talked. I mean, the, this, the controversy goes even further beyond uh, a Tavener and Ford. I mean, it just... It was just, it was a, a situation where it was too cute by half. Absolutely. I'm not, I've never ever disparaged Ron Tavener because I think Ron Tavener is a good cop. And I'll tell you, there, there was a, I think, uh, you know, the, the troops, the frontline troops at the OPP were split on that. I don't think there was, you know, there's people who said, yeah, bring them in, give them a chance. And there's others that, you know, said, I, I, I don't think the, you know, given, given how, how his position that he held, taking over a $1 billion budget and 8,000 people, it just may be, I, we, they thought, too much for him. 
But I really believe, and I could be wrong, but there's, this will be, the person that they finally pick will be from the outside. And I say that because Ford has already said there has to be a shake-up at the top at the OPP. And that may well be the case. Yeah. And and, and, and you're right. I mean, I don't have all the criticisms. You know, we've been critical about this. We've talked about this uh, ever since this this came to light. Uh, You're right. I don't have any recollection of anybody ever criticizing Ron Tavener himself. Uh, or nor his his reputation and and his length of service. Obviously, it's the process that I think everybody was upset about. You know, the fact that they changed the criterion two days after they posted the job. The fact that the the selection committee was actually stacked with people that were friends of Doug Ford's and Ron Taverners. Uh, and and it just it's it's got a stench to it, and you just can't do that. It would have it actually would have been unfair to Tavener in, in the long run. It's just too cute by half. And I'll give you the latest rumor I heard was that uh, Mario Di Tommaso, the now the now deputy minister in the Ministry of Safety and Correctional Services, could get the job. Well, that would just be that would just be another round of what we've already gone through. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't give that much merit, but I just to be, you know just to tell your listeners that that's one rumor that's out there, and uh, I I don't know I don't know who's going to get it. But I, I really think it'll be from somebody from the outside. Because, first of all, right now, Gary Couture, who is the acting commissioner, is retiring. Mm-hmm. And I could be wrong in this, but I don't think I am. That there's the other deputy commissioners are also retiring, maybe except for one. So it, that really paves the way, in my mind, for... A uh, person from the outside, from wherever, to come in there and put their own stamp on it and maybe shake things up a bit. Which is maybe, uh, from what I've heard from some people that have emailed me uh, confidentially, uh, that uh, have told me that they're actually you know, you know frontline officers and they they're concerned about some of the the upper management with the OPP. So I mean, uh, it sounds as if they're they're obviously you know there's a reckoning has to come, but that's going to happen through retirement. You don't have to start blowing people out. No, you don't. But I, you know that reckoning is coming. It, it, it's they're rudderless right now, and and that's no reflection on Gary Couture. He's got one foot out the door, and you, you heard the old expression, "He's a lame duck." Well, he, he's a he's a bit of a lame duck because he's not. He's just he's just a placeholder. Let me ask you something quickly. You got a couple of minutes left yeah. here uh, about process. I mean, because this is not the first time that a premier has had to appoint a, a new OPP commissioner. I mean, Dalton McGinney had to do it a number of times, uh, and, and and clearly it's not always political and it's not always partisan. I mean, you know, J- Julian Fantino became the OPP commissioner under a liberal government, and Julian Fantino is not a liberal. I mean, I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, uh, so no. so clearly there's a vetting process, and at some time you just figure, okay, this is the process. This is the person that came out on top. And that didn't seem to be the go- the way they played the game this time, though. No, it was that. I mean, it, that was done as it should have been. It was pretty hard to say that Julian Fantino, after being police chief in London, Toronto, and York, was not qualified to be the OPP commissioner. Yeah. So he was a natural, and and that was the vetting process, as I understand, it, went as it should. This one, you know, they bypassed the regular vetting process and it, well the rest is history i'll be very i'm intri- i'll be very intrigued to to, uh, to see what happens 
because this is for the government. They've just got to wash their hands of this. They've got to let it go and fall, have it follow its natural course because this is a government that is an activist government in terms of you know changing things and, and rearranging the deck chairs. So they just don't need this, this pall hanging over them. Well, and as governments are wont to do, it's uh, time to change the channel now, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, obviously, this story is, is there. Tavener's not you know, going to pursue the job anymore. Uh, and then this morning, just about 20 minutes ago, we find out that uh, Vic Fidelli announces uh, the date for the budget. It's going to be uh, April 11th, I think it is. Uh, so clearly, that's what they want the discussion to be about today, not about what happened yesterday. Well, I just want to dispel any rumors that I'm the next commissioner. That's all I've got to say. Well, I was going to start it as soon as we finished the conversation today. <laughs> Please don't take the wind out of my sails already. Come on. <laughs> uh, Badger, as always, thanks so much. Appreciate the time today. Okay, Bill. Take, take care. We'll talk again soon. Uh, uh, Richard Brennan, of course, uh, the Badger, as he was known for many, many years at Queen's Park and, of course, on Parliament Hill. Active day in politics. There's an awful lot going on, and uh, that's why we wanted to get his, uh, his read on what's happening with uh, the Ottawa situation, which, by the way, is not over. Uh, the fact that the Prime Minister has spoken on this uh, is something that I think a lot of people wanted to hear. Uh, you can have your own judgments, of course, as to whether or not it was effective or not. We'll see you in the passage of time. But the, uh, the Queen's Park situation is rather interesting, especially, as we uh, mentioned on the show yesterday, uh, because of the controversy that was going on with the, uh, the OPP and the appointment or uh, you know, the alleged uh, process that supposedly went on, uh, Doug Ford hasn't been in question period all week long. And that's obviously one of the things that the opposition parties were very concerned about is they want to be able to talk to the premier about this, about why, this <clears throat> excuse me, why these decisions were being made and the implications of. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, though, now that that seems to have been settled, that issue with Taverner stepping aside, uh, it seems to be off the front burner now, whether or not uh, the premier will actually show up today. And uh, exactly what kind of questioning is going to come forward now because of this? Because obviously the job of opposition parties, as we've seen in in, in the SNC-Lavalin situation, is is to hold the government's feet to the fire uh, and sometimes even to, to stoke the flames a little bit uh, to try to make the heat just a little bit hotter for the, the, the governing party. And uh, it would be interesting to see just what they want to do with the Taverner situation. Do they, do they let that go or do they still try to hold this government accountable? And as uh, Richard Brennan just told us, if uh, Mr. DiTomaso is all of a sudden going to be the second choice for the commissioner, you have to wonder once again about the process uh, because of his history and uh, relationship uh, with uh, the, the premier. So it's a story that's not going away anytime soon. And as soon as we get some uh, new developments, of course, we'll pass those on and give you an opportunity to uh, weigh in on that. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, an update on what's going on in the city of Burlington. Uh, Burlington City Council has uh, frozen downtown development for at least a year. It's something they call the interim control bylaw. It's a rarely used piece of legislation that uh, municipal governments have as one of the tools. Uh, the council is arguing that, uh, well, they need this to actually sort things out as to what they want to do and how they want to grow. Uh, joining us to talk about this is the mayor of the city of Burlington, Marianne Mead Ward, who joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Madam Mayor, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us again. Great to be here. Thanks for your interest. Well, this is interesting, and I know that there's been a bit of a pushback on this already from the Home Builders Association, so maybe if you could explain to us exactly what Council's idea was and what the motivation was. Well, this actually was initiated by our planning staff, and it's, uh, so it was their report and recommendation. We certainly supported it. Uh, I absolutely support it. I think it's the right thing to do. The rationale really comes from the Addy decision. It was an OMB, Ontario Municipal Board decision, that was handed down about a year ago 
that allowed a 26-story building in downtown Burlington that in an area that was zoned for four to eight stories. And council unanimously rejected that. The community rejected that. Planning staff rejected that. And the Ontario Municipal Board gave it to them. And the reason they did, they cited the fact that downtown Burlington is a mobility hub. And when you look at the legislation around uh, what constitutes a mobility hub or a major transit station area, the words are used interchangeably, typically it relates to regional rail, like a GO station or a subway, neither of which our little wee bus terminal in downtown Burlington is. Uh, we asked for a review of that decision and uh, because we, we fundamentally and profoundly disagreed with it, thought it would be a game changer in the downtown, and we got the results of that review in November. And at that point, and that's, so that's just a couple of months ago, at that point, I, I'm, I'm certain that our staff realized, look, um, we, we lost that, and the whole reason that that is hinging on what, uh, what is appropriate development in a major transit station area, does our downtown bus terminal with, um, you know, a few, uh, a few bus lines in Burlington and one from Hamilton, does that constitute what the province was really intending? We need to do the land use studies and, the, and develop a policy framework that is appropriate so that we do not uh, continue to lose ground and we then get regain control of planning our downtown. Now, this so is... Need, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, we, we need to take the year uh, to study what that means. Uh, the, the Burlington GO station is also captured under this interim control bylaw. So it's the two of them because they, they touch each other. They're close. So we wanted to do a comprehensive land use um, study in the area to determine uh, what appropriate land use is in downtown in Burlington. And my personal view, and, it's, and I was very clear about this during the campaign and as a councillor, is that the, the greater density belongs near the GO station where you have higher order transit. It does not belong in the downtown where a bus terminal is trying to be the same as, uh, you know, a subway or a GO train. Here's, what, here's the thing that's always kind of nagged me about this. And by the way, your point's well taken. Uh, this should come as no surprise because you've been very vocal about this uh, as, a, as the councillor for that area, of course, and of course in the, in the, in the municipal election last year. Uh, this, this was one of the main issues in that election. And just Absolutely. talking to Burlington voters, I think everybody knew that. But to, to the designation, and let's talk about that because that seems to be the, the linchpin right here. And it's, it's the designation that, that the province actually gave here to put this as a mobility hub. Now, you want to go back and step back and say, okay, we want to do land use studies and a number of other things to, to ensure the proper kind of growth. Why didn't Metrolinks in the province do that before they made that designation? Or did they? <laughs> uh, well, I suppose that's the... I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to see the paperwork on that. No, I, I don't. Honestly, it, it's one of those mysterious things that just shows up in a provincial document and, and there it is. And... Um, you know, being designated a major transit station or a GO mobility hub was supposed to also uh, give you provincial dollars. We've not received a cent for anything, um, and, and the province has rightly uh, been focusing on that higher order transit. So when you look at uh, LRT projects, sorry to mention that word, <laughs> Hamilton Airways, but... You just opened uh, a wound. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, let's really not talk about water down annexation. We'll just we'll just leave that one too. But um, uh, you know that that was really the intent of of the designation was also there was supposed to be provincial funding for these major higher order transit lines, none of which 
happened in Burlington, none of which apply in Burlington. And so um, it, it was neither here nor there as a designation, really, because the downtown is an urban growth center and the densities are higher. We're already achieving them. But when that decision was used to override a unanimous vote by council, unanimous uh, position by staff and the community that this is inappropriate. Now we have to step back and say, okay, this isn't right. We have to we have to look at this. We have to do the appropriate studies. And that's why it's a comprehensive picture of both the downtown and the mobility hub at the GO station. So we're looking at it comprehensively. And, and, um, and then out of that conversation, we've been told, and this is very recent information. You and I talked about it on uh, the town hall a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can simply vote by majority vote to remove that designation the mobility hub. The urban growth is different. We need to get provincial approval. But that uh, that came out of conversations with our MPP, Jane McKenna. So that's great news. But instead of just lifting that, we're going to do the studies. We're going to get the information. We're going to determine what the appropriate land use is in both of those areas. What are Everyone's they- forgetting that Burlington Go is part of this, too. <laughs> So it's, it's both. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the uh, the elements of the, I, I, we mentioned the Hamilton Halton Home Builders have already, uh, I guess, sent you a letter, or sent council yes. a letter about this, uh, suggesting that this is politically motivated. How do you respond to that? So this was a report by our planning staff. Yeah. And council voted uh, to support it. So, I mean, there's a poli- as, as we were just talking about in the last hour, but, you know, what's going on in Ottawa and at Queen's Park, uh, every every decision that an uh, elected body makes is a political decision. Of course it is. Absolutely. There's going to be some politics in this. But, and, and in fairness, I mean, I understand, you know, that there's some concern here on their part. And uh, is, is there an opportunity here for you to sit down at the table with these folks and say, look, this is what we're doing and here's why? Because uh, I know the mantra that you told us oftentimes during the, the town halls when you're in studio here is you're not against growth. You're, you, you just want proper growth and you want this to be substantial, but at the same time, you want it to be sustainable. Absolutely. And, and the interim control bylaw actually is that opportunity. We cannot have a conversation around what appropriate land use policies should be when we are trying to process multiple applications that are wildly beyond our official plan. So, so what it does is it freezes the application so we can focus on that conversation. And I know the Hamilton Halton Builders Association will be part of that dialogue. We welcome them to be part of that dialogue. Uh, the letter that they addressed to me, uh, I will be responding uh, probably today uh, to, to the concerns that they've raised. But the conversation doesn't stop. It's just that it freezes development so that we're not essentially making policy on the fly in reaction and response to an application with that OMB decision sitting out there like a gorilla on our back. So we we need to get this right, and they will be uh, obviously a part of those conversations this year. And, um, you know, we, we have at least a half dozen applications right now that just keep coming forward to, to you know, if 26, the Addy decision was bad, well, now we've got a 29 story. That came in. So, so this is this is exactly why we need to take the time, have the proper conversation instead of doing it one off. As it was explained to me uh, back when I was on Hamilton City Council, when the staff at that time was suggesting an interim control bylaw, and I can't even remember the issue now, but I mean, obviously, it was a very contentious issue. Uh, but they said, look at uh, you know, if you've got a flooded bathroom, the first thing you have to do is turn off the water and then assess yeah. where the damage is, and that seems to be what you're <laughs> attempting to do here. That's a great metaphor. I'm going to take that one. Thank it's, you. Uh, it's yours. <laughs> Feel free. Thank you for that. <laughs> but, but but so and, it's it's really it's it's time out. That's all this is. Let's say let's let's get let's get the lay of the land here. 
It is. And, and here, if this gives the, the development community any, uh, any comfort, and this did uh, come up in public session, but I'll restate it, applications can still be made to the city. And the planning staff will still review them, get technical comments, do some technical analysis. And so they, will, they can still do that work up to and just stopping short of making a recommendation. So, so that's a six-month process. So if you brought in an application tomorrow, with or without an interim control bylaw, you're not getting a recommendation in any case before six months. So, so this, I, I don't see this even meaningfully slowing down the applications that we're going to get. The work will continue, but what will not happen is there will be no recommendation, no vote by council until we have the set of land use policies and then until we've done the work, the studies, we have our policies and then we evaluate that application in light of those new policies and they become effective immediately. So one of the arguments you're going to hear, because I've heard it already about the proposal that's coming forth here, is that uh, what this study is going to do and what your homework here is going to do is possibly preclude some of these built developments that they'd want to put uh, forth to, to your council and say, well, that's it's not going to be legal anymore. Uh, and they're saying this is really just a, a kind of an end run around this to make sure that that doesn't happen and they're not going to build. And, well, you know, the, you've heard the phrase and, and uh, that Burlington's closed for business now. This is essentially what you've done is shut these people out. Yeah, that, that's nonsense. <laughs> this is actually about... 5% of Burlington's land mass. So let's, let's put that in perspective. It does exactly what it's intended to do, is push pause uh, so that we can take the time to study and not be overwhelmed with applications that are wildly out of line with the existing official plan or even the new official plan. Are they, the development industry, and they need to take ownership of this, they have absolutely disregarded our current planning framework to the point that, uh, that we need to take this step and say, look, we want to work with you. Work with us. Listen to the community. Listen to the feedback. L- respect our plan. That's all we are asking. And, um, and, and now that we have the opportunity to do the studies and to, um, to get the, the new set of land use policies in place, yes, they will be expected to conform. Absolutely. And that's good community planning. That's collaborative planning. But that is not what we've experienced in downtown Burlington. We have experienced uh, applications that come through that have no relation at all to any planning document that we have. So that's not right. And they need to take ownership of that if there was a more respectful environment from them. And I can also tell you this. There have been uh, at least a half a dozen applications that I voted in favor of in the downtown, in my ward, in the last term of council, because the developers worked with the community. It's possible to have it all. It's possible to have a win-win. And that's what we're saying. We are going to take back control of planning. That's what the community voted for. That's what they asked us to do. And it's sound planning policy. We're going to do it the right way. And the the Planning Act gives us this tool. We're using this tool. We, We would be derelict in our duties not to use this tool that's available to us. You've had some great developments. Uh, I know there have been some contentious ones, but a lot of people investing a lot of money in Burlington, a little, actually we're kind of envious looking across the bay sometimes <laughs> to see the kind of people that are there and can consistently do that. Is there a concern that, that you're going to drive them away? They're going to say, look, if you guys don't want to play games, with us, we're going to go someplace else. We'll take our money and our development someplace else. Absolutely not. 
Uh, when you look at Oakville, that has always had a, uh, a stronger planning response uh, than Burlington Council. Uh, Burlington Council has not uh, been been particularly happy or, or wanting to go to fight for our community at the OMB. This council would be, but Oakville was. They said, no, this is what our planning documents say. This is what our infrastructure, our development charges, everything is tied to. Our livability is tied to. We're going to fight you if we have to. And they did that. They invested and developers got the idea. You want to compare development in Oakville to Burlington? They're doing just fine. And in fact, uh, some of my colleagues I was at a dinner with last night, uh, International Women's Day dinner, and they reminded me that they actually preceded us with an interim control bylaw. They already have one. So... Uh, so this is a tool that is, is, is not unheard of. It is a legitimate planning tool, and other municipalities have used it for exactly the same reasons, legitimate planning policy, community-based reasons. Given the, uh, the immediate response you got from the home builders, though, uh, is, is it your intention uh, to sit down with these guys sooner than later to try to, to smooth the waters? Well, I'm happy to respond to some of the concerns. There's some factual uh, errors in their letters, so I'm happy to clear up misunderstandings and hope that that will uh, maybe ease their mind. But we certainly expected that that there are members of the development industry that would not be happy with this, um, and and we'll just we're just going to have to agree to disagree on on the tool. It's here, and we invite them to be a productive part of the conversation now that we are embarking on the st- study. They, they have a seat at the, at the table just like the community. I can tell you the community is overwhelmingly overjoyed about this. The, uh, the response that I have gotten from, uh, from residents is it's about time and we look forward to what this will produce. And, it's a, and you know, we want to take back control of planning, which in a democracy is the way it's supposed to be, not simply reacting and fighting for what we want. You mentioned about the designation. I just got about a minute left here, but uh, the uh, the mobility hub designation and and the news that you got, of course, from uh, MPP McKenna is that yeah, yeah, you can just you can do that yourselves. But you are going to need some help from the province here, aren't you? Not on the mobility hub. That is that is a vote of council. Yeah. So we will we will have that conversation and that vote in the context of the larger work that's being done as part of the interim control. It's the urban growth center, which is another designation I think should be lifted downtown. Uh, that as that that is the one the province will have to give us permission. Yeah, that's the one I'm referring to, yeah. Yeah, that one we'll need help with. Oakville put their urban growth center at a GO station. That's where I'm suggesting it should be at the Burlington GO station. So, uh, But we would need provincial uh, assistance for that. And we'll, we'll certainly go after it. I'm interested to see how this rolls out over the next little while. Thanks, as always. Appreciate the time. You're very welcome. Good talking with you again. Uh, Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward uh, discussing the interim control bylaw. And uh, there is some pushback from the Home Builders Association. And uh, we'll obviously have to see how they respond to this in uh, due course as well. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.